1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And as usual, I'm joined by my trusty sidekick. You know him as Austin. I call him Boston Ward. Boston, why do you think that makes some people, hurt so many people, uh, uh, me calling you Boston? What do you think's up with that?
3: I think it's probably because you have
1: because uh, the, act-
3: the actual seniority on the Ohio State beat, and you you set the tone. So you- I think it's that they believe strongly that you should never defer to anyone else. And I agree. I, I think that you, you are the legend on this beat and you, you are the true boss. Tim.
1: But see, I'm giving folks, I look at it, I'm giving folks a peek behind the curtain that in fact, I am, I am not the boss. You're the boss. You're the one who tells me what to do. I just follow along the leash and the collar get a little tight sometimes. Uh, because you know, I'm semi retired, and the closer football season gets, the more I want to run. You know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe I'm champing at the bit. Let's make it more of a racehorse analogy. I think that makes more sense because I've never been into dog racing, but uh, but I'm just gonna keep calling you Boston because I like the way it sounds, and it's and I know it's not clever, but to me, it is.
3: I mean, I'm I would never even dream of telling you how how to cover uh, this team. You have been doing it. Um, you know, uh, since I was born, basically. So uh, wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever really put it together in my mind that way until just now. And I'm sorry that I did that um, wow. for both yeah. of ours, for both of our sakes. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry that I did that. I, I wish I could take it back. We could record, we could just delete all this right now uh, and start over, but no. Um, I mean it Good. only as the sign of ultimate respect for you.
1: Horses for courses. That's the way I look at it. Horses for courses. Well, speaking of who's the boss, that's a good segue. After this, after this latest college football uh, weekend, you know, Ohio state is upwardly mobile. Yeah. The associated press writer still didn't give them their, you know, they moved North Carolina ahead of them after Florida took it on the head, but you know, that's the same group that still voted Florida ahead of the team that beat them. Texas A&M go figure that both. I think the coaches poll and the, uh, writer's poll, the uh, media poll, still voted Florida ahead of Texas a and M. I I guess are thinking is, well, on a neutral field, well, you know, you could pin into that argument all day. I mean, you can't get much more neutral than some of these fields are right now, right? <laughs> I mean, although College Station had a lot of people there. But, uh, uh, you know, Ohio State uh, treading water is doing quite well right now. you agree?
3: Yeah, there there's a, a lot to go through there. Uh, you know, Tim, you and I have both in our careers – uh, been voters for awards and and for the AP poll and yes. and it's it's not a fun job, um, especially for a a team beat writer, you know, to monitor even the rest of the Big Ten on a given Saturday when we're in one stadium talking about one team and then you see one opponent every week, like it's it's not a job that I envy or, or really want to do again, uh, to be quite honest. So, you know, I, I can see how sometimes this this you know things fall through the cracks and you make mistakes, but your overall point about where Ohio State sits and what's happening in the rankings is that all these other teams are already losing games, and you can see, you know, when you when you start late, Ohio State's now in this position where they get they can already see, you know, uh, the promised land that other teams are losing, uh, other other candidates, other contenders are already being revealed as not worthy of being in that college football playoff rate, race, and the picture for them is becoming more clear. I think they already knew they would have to run the table most likely with this schedule. Um, but even you're removing the Big 12 almost entirely from that conversation. You know, for example, that, uh, you know, everybody else except Alabama really, you know, or one team in the SEC is probably going to be it that goes undefeated. Um, yeah. That's, that's going to be both some comfort for them and also a reminder that they have to take care of business starting next Saturday and that they can't take anything for granted.
1: Yeah, you know, we're going to get into that more on a, on the second part of my show here uh with you uh and uh and it is to put it in a nutshell looks like the front runner in the Big 12 right now is Oklahoma State. Uh <laughs> we saw that one in comes. fact, yeah, and uh, it sounds like a lot of the experts are not really willing to give them the benefit of the doubt if in fact it's a five tip five horse race at the end, you know. So we'll see what yep. happens. But uh you know, first uh I had a great conversation with the uh parent uh with the mother of paris johnson jr monica johnson i know you've you've spoken with her before many occasions so is jeremy birmingham our ace recruiting expert along with spencer holbrook but uh wow what what a refreshing interview and uh man parents these days man some of them are are really are really sharp she is one of them and uh just kind of like talking about uh, paris as a peewee and then and Paris through the COVID, et cetera. It was just kind of an eye-opening uh, conversation. So I'm going to get into that conversation. We'll introduce that here in a second. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to chop up, as the uh, chefs like to say, and the sous chefs. I guess you could be my sous chef, and I could be the chef. Uh, we are, we're going to chop up the, the national picture, the national uh, base omelet, whatever you want to call it, that Ohio State's going to be plopping into uh in in less than a week and a half uh but but first let's get to this conversation i had with monica johnson
0: i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment
3: that is a harsh
1: lesson in business
3: sports is not
2: as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech it opened up so
2: many more doors doors. the show is called the The Deal. deal
0: listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify
2: lucky land casino
0: asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: And
1: as promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back with a very, uh, very special guest, Monica Johnson. Welcome to the Tim May Podcast. Thank you for having me. And uh, you know, there's as you well know, I've been I've been in pursuit of you. That doesn't come. That doesn't exactly sound right. But I've been in pursuit <laughs> of you for several months now, and uh, we finally have made this happen. And you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you earlier in the summer was how your big big bad son was dealing uh, with the uh, COVID nineteen challenges, et cetera. But now, you know, it's morphed into. Uh, dealing with that, but also pushing on and getting ready to play for the first time as an Ohio State Buckeye. Of course, we're talking about Paris, Paris Johnson, Jr., uh, bidding at right tackle right now, along with Nicholas, Nicholas petit Frere, possibly for the starting job is Ohio State's preseason. It's not really a campus preseason post, uh, post-school practices go on. But, Monica, how, how is your son getting along at this point?
2: He's getting along perfectly. He loves it at Ohio State we talk every single day, we FaceTime every single day, and he's always smiling and expressing his love and how he's enjoying the process. Uh,
1: How challenging has this, before we get to it about how challenging it's been for parents, how challenging do you think it's been for your son over the last several months, you know, thinking he was going to show up at Ohio State, vie for a starting job, maybe even in the spring, but then have everything sort of not, not necessarily put on hold, but put on a very, very slow conveyor belt. How has he, he dealt with that challenge, in your opinion?
2: Honestly, he's handled it very maturely. I was really surprised on how he handled that. I can't say I would have handled it the same way if I was Paris. But he was very mature during the entire process. At least to me, he never complained about the process. He just said, Mom, I know God has a plan. He said, God is not surprised by any of this and I'm just gonna take it one day at a time and make sure I do my very best to be prepared. So he handled it very maturely. Now, were there moments where Paris went through the emotional roller coaster? Of course, but never once he complained to me about this process. He's just happy to be a Buckeye.
1: You know, the reason I initially pursued you way back when was you're one of those parents who has spoken out even before the Big Ten was doing its thing, its tango, as I call it now, because it definitely was a dance. But uh, yes. you know, you were you were the one on you were one of the ones on Twitter, etc., feeling very confident back in the midsummer with the way yes. Ohio State was handling things. What gave you that confidence? What what it, what was it? Some of the highlights that stuck out to you about the way Ryan Day, maybe Greg Studrawa, and those guys were all ha- handling the situation.
2: Well, what stuck out to me was the communication. Um, Coach Day was upfront. From the very start what he communicated with us from the time that the boys were sent home because of COVID-19 up until now it's it's always been an ongoing communication so coach day never once promised us never promised us a season but what he did tell us that he shared with us the protocols the steps that they were going to take as a university to ensure that our boys will be safe at the university and also, he educated us as parents on different things that we needed to do to make sure that we were supporting our boys away from home as well.
1: And g- Give me a couple of things that you, that's, that you did in that regard, that last part you were talking about, about supporting your son. Was, was it more moral support than anything else, or how would you describe it?
2: I would say it was moral support, mental health support, and also following the same rules that were laid out for the boys. So Coach Day stressed to us the importance of wearing our face masks, the importance of us washing our hands. He wanted us to be able to practice the same thing that our boys were practicing so they can see that we were on board as a family. And also he asked us to social distance as well so that way we could possibly interact with our sons if we were able to get back on campus to spend time with them,
1: we're I'm trying not to make this a totally self serving situation uh, in praise of Ryan Day and his coaching staff. Yeah. But how impressed were you about the way they grasped the gravity of the situation and came up with plans to deal with it? I mean, just, you know, I don't know, as you look back on that, is it, it kind of stunning how, how they did respond?
2: It was very stunning, and not only stunning, but I I actually felt like I needed to reassess <laughs> how I was handling COVID because <laughs> of how he was handling it. And I, I and I've shared this before publicly. I've shared this on social media that Paris to me is a lot safer under the care at Ohio State than he is with me at home because wow. of the protocols that's put in place. And again, Coach Day challenged our home. He challenged our household to, to step our game up, to make sure that we were doing the same things that he was having the boys do. And he started this protocol from the very beginning. As soon as the boys, as soon as the boys were home, he was communicating with us about social distancing. He was communicating with us about wearing face masks because he wanted the boys to be safe. And most importantly, he wanted us to be safe and healthy as well.
1: Yeah, it was sort of like, what's so much a bubble? It was just an outreaching tent (laughs) that they brought you guys all in under, right? I mean, to a certain extent.
2: And we all bought into it as a family. Coach Day communicated with us via Zoom several times a month. I would say at least three to four times a month during the time that the boys were away from us. It wow. was ongoing communication with him, as well as the team doctor, as well as Gene Smith. So it was always communication from those gentlemen on what they were doing on their end to make sure that the boys would be safe when they could return. And also giving us tips as well to what we can do to make sure we're safe as we are away from the university.
1: About the end of the first week of August, uh, I'm talking about, you know, time frame, uh, the Big Ten announced its schedule yes. and announced that, you know, uh, you know, there could be some challenges to this schedule, but they built in some buffer jet zones, et cetera. Six days later, five, six days later, they announced the season is being postponed to the spring. Uh, trying to just figure out the exact word I want to use here. Yeah, I'm just going to use the word uprising. There was an uprising <laughs> by Monica Johnson, Dr. Corey M. Teague, Nan Werner, people who you're very familiar with,
2: yes.
1: uh, Randy Way, Miller's also. mom too,
2: Christina Miller, G. Scott, Senior, yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, we're talking about an uprising that the names you just named, which stretch all over the country, right? Yes. I mean, this was a national uprising, uh, Buckeye, absolutely. Yeah, you know, the, the, the 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 guts of uh, Buckeye Nation, the parents yes. of the football players from across the nation, rose up in unison and. Uh, uh, I, number one, how did that get started? But then I wanted to ask you too. You can just follow up with this answer. What did it feel like to to be part? Because I'd imagine the main thing on your mind uh, as parents was, like Nan Werner said, how do you get the games? Where are you going to tailgate? What are we yes. going to bring? What's potluck going <laughs> to mean, me? What's going to be my? How am I going to impress everybody with my chili or my corn guys, dogs or whatever? You know, that's you know. Right. Uh, that's right. But more into. You know, we will not stand for this. This will not stand. And uh, just just take me through that whole metamorphosis.
2: Well, when the schedule first came out, let me back up. When Coach Day initially told us there was no guarantee. Yeah. And that we were going to take it one day at a time. And we were okay with that as a family. And as, and when I say family, I'm talking about the parents, Buckeye Nation. We were okay with that because he was very transparent up front saying it was no guarantee but he shared with us the different phases. So as our boys went through each phase successfully, we were just excited for them, celebrating with them. And then when that schedule came out, it was like, yes, we finally made it. All the sacrifice, we finally made it. And then less than a week later for that to be taken away from us, I felt like the rug was pulled from up under us and there was no explanation as to how they came about that decision. And it was very frustrating because coach day as well as gene smith did an amazing job of communicating with us i'm I'm sorry my okay okay did an amazing job of communicating with us and so for us to go from zero from one from 100 communication to zero we it was it was we were appalled. We were yeah. confused. We, we couldn't quite understand that. And so and even Coach Day and Gene Smith could not even answer our questions, which was a shock to us because they've been very supportive and upfront with us from the very beginning. And so I'm on the parent board on um, the Ohio State Football Parent Association board. I'm a freshman representative mm-hmm. on the board. And mm-hmm. so we have a group and we came together as a group. And we just started communicating on what can we do to help because we knew that Coach Day and Gene Smith could not answer our questions. Therefore, our boys could not answer our questions, and we felt that we needed to be the spokesperson for the coaches as well as for our sons because we needed answers. And so we yeah. decided we will come together as a group, and everything just took off from there.
1: What did what? As you look back on it now, what 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 did it feel like? Because obviously, y'all had an effect, whether whether Kevin Warren and the big 10 folks want to admit it. Uh, they, 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 you know, as you well know, that famous uh, missive that Kevin Warren put out uh, uh, a few weeks, or a week or so after uh, the initial postponement of the season to the spring, that this would not be revisited. Huh? This thing yeah. got revisited, you know, it
2: uh, it was yes. kind of like,
1: uh, I mean, unbelievable, the effect you had, but what, as you look back on it now, are you, I used the word stunned a while ago about the way uh, Ryan Day and his staff dealt with the situation, but are you, I don't know, are you stunned a little bit by the way y'all were able to make waves and then make yourself heard?
2: Yes, we were amazed, but I think what it was is that what was driving us was the unity that we had, and we knew that we had a right to answer, we had a right to some of these unanswered questions. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say, and I can't speak for anyone else on a board, but if there was information that was needed to be shared with the coaches and the parents saying that it's not safe for our sons to play, I love my son, and I don't want my son to be hurt. I don't want him to um, suffer negatively because of this virus. So I would totally support my son if it you know if it meant he couldn't play because of the pandemic i would totally support that but i can't rally around something if i don't have the answers and that's what we were looking for was the answer we wanted to know how did they come to this conclusion and we know how hard our boys worked and the protocols that were in place so that drove us because we felt like we needed answers and, and we deserved answers but when um that he decided that this would not be revisited and that the season will be postponed, but in my mind canceled, um, it will be postponed. Then at this point we decided we were going to take it up to another level. It, and it wasn't over for us. And we were going to continue to plow forward until we got the answers that we needed.
1: You know, I think I would, the way I'm me being a sports writer, uh, a long sports writer, I think the term I would use was y'all took it up a notch. <laughs> yes. Or three. You know. <laughs> yes, my mom amazing. used to used to tell me and my brothers when we get in trouble, go out there to the hedge and pick out a good switch. Come bring one of those <laughs> little limp ones in here, pick out a good one. And uh <laughs> that's what y'all did. Y'all, y'all got a pretty nice switch and got after it. Uh were you just as surprised that they did revisit and that uh, you're now uh little over a week away from watching your son play college football? You know. <laughs> Let's face it. Nothing's a given. Nothing's a given, as the NFL is finding out in this COVID nineteen era. That's but are right. you are you surprised? Stunned is the other word I'd use again. Uh, that you're less you're a little over a week away.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, you know, I dreamed of this moment for Paris. I dreamed of him running out of that tunnel behind Coach Day. It feels good that now it's going to be a reality. <laughs> And I know that the boys are excited, that the parents rallied together to help this come together. Um, and I loved how the entire Big Ten conference came together. So it just wasn't about Ohio State, but it was about the great parents at Nebraska, and Iowa, and other schools, and even the team up North parents. Yeah. <laughs> we all came together because we want what was right for our sons.
1: Uh, I- I just thought of this. Are you in the Nebraska Are you folks in the Nebraska folks planning any kind of special little get together before that game next Saturday? I mean, because uh, y'all, y'all more than anyone else, were the real uh, the fly in the ointment, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, the burr under the saddle. I mean, you got to give Nebraska <laughs> parents credit. They stepped up. Absolutely. You know? I mean, uh, are y'all planning any kind of like, you know, just kind of a friendly get together before the war starts?
2: Well, we we wanted to, but because of COVID, you know, we're not going to be able to get together as a group, but we are planning to get together next fall because we're believing next fall we'll be able to get together as a group and we can possibly do a joint tailgate before, as you say, before we go in battle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: but, but the thing is y'all, y'all be some of the few people that even be in Ohio stadium on Saturday, you know, I mean, that's, you've been to Ohio stadium, Monica, where do you think it's going? I was in there, uh, Week, or, week and a half ago when we got to watch 30 minutes of a practice, it's, it's, it's like the Indianapolis 500. For me, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a totally different animal when it's full of people, you know, right. 250,000 people. Ohio Stadium, 105,000. Instead, they may have a 1,000 or fewer, you know, in there. Yeah. What, do you, what do you expect that atmosphere to be like? I'm not sure.
2: I'm really not sure what, what to expect. I, I do believe it will be an excitement in the air. Because, you know, we're going to come together. The parents are going to come together and rally our boys on and, and celebrate. Because the time has come and it's here. So I'm not sure, but I know it's going to be um, an exciting atmosphere. It won't be a 100 plus thousand fans just yet, but it will come. The day will come.
1: But you, I get the total impression here that you're going to try to make up some of the slack, right? I mean, we'll uh, I mean. <laughs> You know, and I just want to get into with you, you know, uh, uh, the mother of a young man who's about to play in his first college football game at the Ohio State University. You know, you you saw when uh, you and I uh, conversed on Twitter the other day when you ran that picture of him when he was a pig, when when he had the ball under his arm, I said, yeah, that was when he was small enough to be a running back yes
2: he was five five years old
1: <laughs> and, uh, and now he's too big he didn't, if he was if he'd grown quickly he'd have a big X on his back right I mean in right. three <laughs> weeks uh, don't don't let this guy play running back but uh it as you've said man the, the, the time flies right it, it does crazy. you got to be thinking back to those moments right now I would think
2: I have I really have I you know thinking back on the moments when he first came to me and told me he wanted to play football to when he when I first helped him put on his helmet when he couldn't get the helmet on quite right <laughs> at oh, five man. years old so it's just amazing to see where God has brought us from and Paris and I chatted today and we were just reminiscing over where we've came from as a family and just to think how blessed we are um it, again it, it felt like yesterday and I, I'm yeah. just grateful that Paris is a part of this process and that Paris can can build a legacy at Ohio State. I never thought at five years old that he will be at the Ohio State today. Didn't know what God had in store for us.
1: Yeah, when he when he transitioned, I would think he wanted to be a running back or a quarterback or something like that when he was little because everybody does, right? Because the football is made for throwing, you know. Yes. And and holding. Uh yes. When he when he made the transition from that to to lineman, when did that happen? And then number two, did he deal with it? pretty well? Did he like it? I mean, did he, you know, give us a little bit of a look back into this, uh, into this time capsule of when he kind of made that transition.
2: That's a great question. Actually, Paris, when he started playing football at five, he played a little corner. So he played in the backfield because he was a little guy Yeah. and he played on a five, six, seven year old team. So he was the only five-year-old on the team, but he was just as tall as the seven-year-old. So he was able to play, but he started in the backfield and slowly as he grew, he slowly moved up to the line of scrimmage. So his freshman year at St. Xavier High School, he played defensive end. And so I I remember, again, like yesterday, Coach Steve Speck came to me October of Paris' freshman year when the freshman season ended, and Paris was then invited to move up to JV because JV was still playing, so he was able to move up. And he called me and he said, Monica, we're going to move Paris from defensive end to offensive line because Paris grew over four inches in a matter of nine months. So he went from being six, three, he came in at six, three and he was six, seven. And he said, we're going to have to transition him to the other side of the ball, because if he plays the vision one football, they're going to transition him to the offensive line because he's going to outgrow. He's already outgrown the position playing defensive end. He said, so let's get a little weight on him and move him to the offensive side of the ball. And I told Coach Beck, I said, I'm good with that. I said, you're the expert. If you think that's what is going to yield a scholarship for Paris, I totally support it. I had no doubt. I felt that he was the expert. And so Steve met with PJ shortly after and Paris was on board with it. And the funny thing was the only thing we knew about blocking, at least in my mind, was just... Trying to prevent the defender t- to getting to the quarterback. I'm like, oh, that sounds easy. Yeah, <laughs> the <is, seems> like
1: <laughs> away, idea. right? Just getting away. That's,
2: that's real easy to do. Yeah. And so Paris started watching film, and he says, "Mom, I don't think it's that easy." <laughs> 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 and, it's, and so this may sound a little corny, but what we did, Paris and I, we got on our knees and we prayed, and we said, "God, will you please put someone in our life that can help Paris make the transition?" to defensive end, to offensive line, because Steve Speck told us, he said, now I'm gonna transition Paris to this position, but I don't know how to teach him how to play offensive line. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I said, okay, I didn't, again, I didn't worry about it. I didn't question Steve, and I said, okay. And so Paris and I, we got on our knees and we prayed. And within, I would say three months, God put Willie Anderson in our life. Willie Anderson was placed in our life. Anthony Munoz was placed in our life. And between those two gentlemen, they taught Paris how to play offensive line. They spent a summer teaching him how to play, how to kick, how to punch, how to set. I mean, just just taught him because Paris was a blank canvas. And so he just absorbed everything. He watched a lot of film with those gentlemen, just learning more about the position. And then he slowly transitioned. And by, I want to say, maybe this eighth the eighth game the sixth or eighth game, I'm I'm sorry, Tim, it's either the sixth or the eighth week at um, his sophomore year at St. Xavier high school. He was, he turned, he was given the starting position at left tackle at that point. And he never at at that point. It just took off at that point. It was no turning back at, at that point. And just to see the growth in him and to see, him make that transition. And that's not that's that's not easy to play offensive line. It's that's not an easy position to play. In my mind it was easy because you just keep the defender away from the quarterback. Yeah. But it's not really that easy at all. But again, we credit God putting people in Paris's life to help him master that position. Yeah.
1: I mean Willie and then and then Anthony Munoz. See I covered the Bengals way back in the late 70s, early 80s. I was there when they first covering them when they first went to the Super Bowl, but Anthony Munoz Mm -hmm. One of the great players of all time, much less left tackle to have him in Paris's life. I mean, like you said, that was a godsend. I mean, what was Anthony like uh, to deal with and how did he relate to Paris?
2: Oh, my goodness. He's like a teddy bear. (laughs) Yes. Such a gentleman. Very kind. He was eager to support Paris and take time with him and to just give him advice I mean, he's a, he's a phone call away. If Paris was to call him right now, he would answer the phone. He he just wanted to support him. He gravitated to Paris, and so did Willie. And so between yeah. both of those gentlemen, they helped him to become who he is today.
1: Between his freshman year and his sophomore year, like you said, he grew six, five, six seven inches. Could you actually, I would think as a mother, because how right. tall are you, Monica? I'm 5'10". Yeah, you're... vertically challenged no my wife's my wife my wife's 5'10 uh but you could actually see him from one week to the next being taller right i mean what was that like
2: Paris always been a tall kid you know i gave birth to him he was 22 and a half inches long wow so yeah so he's always been a tall kid but to grow four four plus inches in less than you know a school year that that's a lot to go from six three to six seven. I believe he did it in maybe six months. I think. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I you know I grew I grew from five eight to uh, six two and a half in a, in about a year and a half from like a ninth grade to uh, to uh into the tenth grade and and you know my I remember I went through three sets of clothes then you know because yeah. my pants you can't wear high water pants more than once to school or you get teased you know, right. you know how water <laughs> pants are. The the cuff doesn't come down to where it should. Uh, What was it like keeping him in clothes just during that spurt?
2: It was hard. It it was definitely a a challenge, you know, keeping shoes. He was constantly growing out of shoes every six months. Sure. Clothes every six months. But, you know, again, prayer.
1: (laughs) Where did you find clothes for him, though? I mean, we're not talking about going from 5'8 to 6'2. We're talking about going from 6'3 to 6'7 online big and tall man's category
2: yeah i had to order everything online and willie anderson was a great resource so he was the one who who shared different places different places we can go to purchase shoes to purchase clothes and so yes it was a challenge it was did
1: you find a gold mine did you find a gold mine for that kind of stuff was there one was there one go-to place that you found that really worked
2: no i actually had to go through at least four different places
1: wow wow yes
2: four different (laughs) crazy
1: crazy Monica, that's and crazy. It
2: family effort, so everyone was chipping in on that one.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, last thing. When was it that you knew? Was it when the phone calls started really being incessant? Was it uh, when letters just started pouring into your y'all's mailbox? When did you When did you come to the realization that uh, Parrish wouldn't wouldn't just learn how to play offensive line, but a lot of people thought he was learning how to play it extremely well in <laughs> that. You know, uh, you know, in uh, in, uh, in 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 old-time terms, you call him a bonus baby or a blue chip. But when did you uh, come to the understanding that he could be one of the elite in the country if he kept pursuing this? And how did that kind of change, like his focus, even?
2: Honestly, I knew this. I want to say it was his sophomore year. It was when he played against Fairfield in the playoffs, and I saw his performance and. It hit yeah. me then I knew then that he was going to be an elite athlete. I saw it then now Paris and I again, we prayed. He always wanted to play division one football. And so we would have been happy if Paris was at Miami university, we would have been happy if he was at Bowling Green because it's still great division one football. Yeah. But, but once Paris has such a great performance in that playoff game against Fairfield, The very next day, the phone was ringing. Steve Speck said he could not keep up with the volume at that point. And I knew then at that game, something changed. And in a matter of what, six months? How do you go from having one offer to 50 offers in a matter of six months? Yeah. I knew, I, I felt it, if that makes sense. I just, I felt it that night when I was watching him out there that it was no turning back at that point.
1: Well, I just, I mean, as you're saying, I'm getting goosebumps because I'm thinking about you guys getting down your knees after yes. Steve Speck, Coach Speck, told you we're moving to the offensive line and people putting people in or bringing people into your life that helped you yes. get to that point. And then just to see it, I mean, you got to like Coach Speck, right? <laughs> oh, yes,
2: absolutely. He, he saw something that we we did not see. And yeah. we took it and we, we ran with it. And – And it's, you know, again, he, if it wasn't for him seeing that in Paris, things could be totally different right now.
1: Uh, Well, how is Paris good at, we don't hardly get get to talk to these guys know, like we used to do in the old days. I used to just hang out at the Woody Hayes center way back when. That's how old (laughs) I am, Monica. But uh, uh, will, will he be able to, is he, how well does he handle this kind of spotlight? Obviously, you know, he's in a battle just to get on the field at this point, yes. but, but how does he? How well do you think he will handle the growing, uh, for one another term, even the growing attention from what he's had already?
2: He's handled it very maturely, and I believe he will continue to. Um, Paris is very big on being humble. Um, one of the things we stress in our household is to not be prideful, because I believe the very moment that you're prideful, that's when destruction comes. And so that's something I stress to him all the time. And so every single day, Paris, I know he shares with me, he does his devotion, he does his prayers, and he looks for ways to give back to others because he wants to, because he knows that would keep him humble. And know that, that this is simply a gift that God has given him, one of many gifts that God has given him that he can use as a platform to be able to bless others, to entertain others. And so he's been really good about making sure and keep it in the forefront that it's not about him. And if I ever feel like it is about him, I don't have a problem with reminding him.
1: That it's that not about it's, him.
2: Yeah. That it's about others first, absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's an M there, but it's the end of team, right? Yeah. That's
2: right. Yeah, That's right.
1: and family. Uh, when did you come to grips with the fact that football is a brutal sport and that do you watch football with one eye closed and one eye open when your son's on the field? How did you how did you come to grips with that as a parent? You know, everybody, you know, that's what Dr. Corey M. Teague was talking to me about. He goes, uh, you know, uh, this COVID-19 thing, uh, is interesting, but we, as parents, you know, we, we accepted that risk, you know, based on the way Ohio State has handled things, but you know, football is about all kinds of risk. It's not just about COVID-19, the, the, you know, obviously the head injury situation has come to the fore in the last many years, uh, you know, knees, things like that. Right. When did you when did you come to grips with the idea that your son is playing a fairly violent sport?
2: From the very beginning. Um, like I said, when Paris came to me at five years old telling me he wanted to play football, I told him immediately, I said, if you're gonna play football, it can hurt. <laughs> yeah. It can it can hurt. And I told him that if he wanted to play, it would have to be tackle football. It was not gonna be flag football because to me that's not preparation for what tackle football really is, what it's about. And so I shared that with him and he was okay with that. And I, I know the risk that comes with football just as well, there are risks with other sports such as soccer, there's with hockey. So there's numerous risks with different sports. And the other thing too, is that Paris was exposed to other sports besides football. So Paris, he participated, he was a gymnast. Paris played a little bit of hockey. He played baseball. played soccer so he's been introduced to to every sport um but i have no worries or or no concerns because i know this is what he wants to do and i don't want to project my fear or my anxiety onto paris you
1: know in a past life were you a football coach (laughs) no
2: i'm
1: I'm serious (laughs) you know i mean that's crazy i mean you 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 now, now it sounds like I'm not, I, don't want, I don't want to blow smoke here, but it, you have a lot of, you, you bring, you bring, it seems like you bring every phase of his, you brought every phase of his life with a little bit of wisdom involved. I mean, uh, or at least, you know, wisdom may not be the right word. Yeah, I think it's wisdom, but also thinking through situations. Does he, does he, uh, has he copied you in that regard? Is he, is he that kind of fellow? Does he analyze?
2: Yes, he does. Paris analyzes everything. <laughs> he analyzes everything. He reads a lot. Um, Paris is definitely, he's someone who thinks through things. Um, so yes, that—that that is Paris. Sometimes he analyzes a little bit too much for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yes. Hey, last thing, uh, Monica, and I know I said that, but that's my calling card. I say that at least three times. Uh, <laughs> but this will be the last thing. Okay. How eager, and you touched on this a minute ago, how eager is he to get on that field uh, uh, a week and a half from now against, as we, as you and I speak, against Nebraska and get on with his college career, is it, you, like you said, I think you can sense the excitement in him, right, from these phone yes. calls.
2: Yes, he is excited. He. One thing he did tell me this, when everything was put on hold with the Big Ten and wasn't sure if we would even be here today, one of the things that Paris told me, he says, Mom, game day will come. And I promise you, I will be ready. I will not take one day off. So he's wow. been ready for this moment, and I feel the stage has been set now, and so it's it's time for him to to come forth. And I'm excited, and I know he's excited.
1: I see a Campbell's soup commercial in your in your future. I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you think? Huh?
2: Hey, they can call me. I'm I'm available.
1: you know i just love those but anyway monica johnson thank you very much for joining the tim may podcast this has been a blast
2: thank you so much for having me i'm glad that we're finally able to get together and have this talk
1: amen amen thank you very much
2: thank you have a great day you too
0: 18 plus
1: and we're back ladies and gentlemen wow really enjoy talking with these pairs. i mean nan warner a couple of weeks ago cory m teague dr cory m teague father of master teague third but then monica johnson man they're, they're all all-stars in my book you agree
3: yeah it's you know i we talked about we talked a number of times about the quality and caliber of the players that ohio state has been recruiting and and those those people don't happen by accident they they have to be you know or have to, need to be raised that way. Nurtured. And, and it's been remarkable to get to know some of them. Monica Johnson absolutely fitting uh, the bill there. And, you know, it's one thing that we've done at Letterman Row that I think it is uh, awesome and helpful is is going out. We're not the only ones that do this, of course, but we're allowed to do that by, by my actual boss, um, Will Crawl, to, you know, talk to them, get to go on the road, whether that's watching them play in high school games when that was allowed or going into, you know, these families' homes and getting to know them. And they've been very welcoming and, and incredible to meet a bunch of them. And, um, you know, we obviously did that. It wasn't as far of a travel to go down to Cincinnati. But, you know, that Paris Johnson, his mom and his sister, just, uh, you know, those are the, the three that I, I really got to meet down there. Yeah. Uh, incredible people.
1: All right, let's jump into it now. You know, uh, the, who's the boss? I'm going to have Monica Johnson on sooner rather than later again, by the way, because uh, uh, Paris Johnson's got some interesting things coming up in his life uh, besides football. And we're going to get into that uh, later on. But I digress. That's just a little tease. But uh, <laughs> line is speaking of teases, we had that in an earlier portion of the show, when, when you and I were talking. And by the way, as you spoke there, Boston, I think I am going to give you a new nickname. Instead of Austin Ward or Boston Ward, it's going to be Awesome Ward. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, you huh? like that? How about that? I think that's pretty good.
3: <laughs> well anyway,
1: awesome. Uh of course there are a lot of people who fit that bill, so but uh that's kind of like being nicknamed Butch or something. But uh <laughs> but but anyway, uh anyway, Butch. Who, who what which is the who's the best team in the in, in the nation right now? Take Ohio State out of the picture. Yeah. Uh Clemson. I thought played played against a pretty good, not a great team by any stretch, a pretty good team the other night in Miami, put Miami back in its place, which is you're not quite ready for prime time yet like you used to be. Uh, Alabama took on Ole Miss. At Ole Miss, it was raining. The remnants of a, of a Delta were running through the Delta at that point, and, uh, but then it kind of cleared off, and that was one of the great offensive – well, the most prolific offensive performances – Uh, by both teams in the history of a southeastern conference football uh, combined. And uh, uh, so I have to give the nod to Clemson because Clemson played defense. Uh, What's your take on that? I mean, because I think those would be your top two teams as you look at it right now of teams that have played.
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the conversation has been that the top three most talented teams were very clear before the season started. And, and, and in my mind, I think Ohio State is the most talented this year. Uh, Clemson is number two. Uh, and part of that is because I was in you, – you and I were in Arizona and we saw a team that really dominated most of that game before some really uh, unusual things happened. Um, that's what I can't shake. And I, I think that this Ohio State team has, an, has a, as high of a ceiling, if not more so, this year with Justin Fields coming back. So – you said to take them out of the equation. I still think that Clemson is right there. Those are the two best teams. If you offered to build them a bubble and let them play five times and crown a national champion to be done with 2020, I would approve of that plan. I don't think that uh, Alabama and Georgia, you know maybe they, one of those two can prove that wrong and that they absolutely deserve to be in that mix. I'm not suggesting that, that the SEC champion wouldn't be in the playoff. They absolutely will. But yeah. I just don't... What I saw from Alabama in the first quarter and a half, and I know that's just a small part of the game. They dominated Texas A&M after that. But I watched almost all of that Ole Miss game. That was not a Nick Saban defense. That was not an Alabama national championship caliber defense. And if if Lane Kiffin, I've said many times to you from my experience with him back at Tennessee, he's a great play caller. He's done fantastic things with quarterbacks. Um, He knows Nick Saban well. So it's not a surprise that he could come up with a good game plan and score points, but I didn't think he could score to that many points against Alabama, and I, I think that there are some troubling signs for what they can do defensively. Now, they also are really dangerous on offense. We'll see if that's enough. Georgia has. They are
1: very dangerous, very yeah. dangerous on offense. Let's, yeah. You know, sometimes you can just outscore people, and that's what Alabama did the other night.
3: And I just, and now, now they'll have to prove if they can do that. Scoring on Ole Miss, we know that that's not the same. Because Kirby Smart, I think, has an Alabama-caliber national championship-style defense. But they obviously have questions on the offensive side. So, um, you know, it's a fascinating mix for the – you know, to preview this biggest game of the year, uh, maybe in the SEC. Maybe they'll play twice. I don't know. But, um, you know, I think the winner of that game can can say, all right, that's – they are in the mix with Ohio State and Clemson as a team that can win the national championship. I just – I currently have doubts – about alabama right now um but one week is all they really need to to erase them um and that's yeah. you know well
1: they handled you know they handled a the texas a&m team the week before alabama did uh, at home uh and uh here they got georgia coming up i mean uh saturday saturday night and uh, man you know there's some things to be said for not having to cover a football game <laughs> you know what i mean on some saturdays but uh yeah. this is a blessing man this is like uh you know, just like Ohio State-Penn State on October 31 is going to be a, a hell of a game. And uh, I think this is going to be a hell of a game uh, from the standpoint of can Alabama keep scoring a lot of points because that looks like their recipe. And you can, you can win – I know it's a dumb, stupid thing to say. You can win games by, by literally playing outscore the opponent. And Ole Miss hardly stopped Alabama the other night. Yeah. But the flip side, like you just said, was Alabama hardly stopped Ole Miss except on one key drive when they forced a field goal, and that was that turned into being the game, uh, especially right. after, uh, you know, that uh, ridiculous onside. Uh, well, I guess that was earlier that onside kick attempt, which, <laughs> you know, that Ole Miss had. But I don't want to chop up that whole game except to say that there were moments in that game when Ole Miss's offensive line owned the day, and I even texted Urban. During the midst of that game, saying I haven't seen an Alabama defensive line owned like this maybe since that college football playoff semifinal right. in 2014 when of course Ohio State uh, ran up and down the field to a certain extent on those guys. That's what gives me pause is how Alabama's front seven uh, seemed quite vulnerable.
3: Well, you have to if you're going to tell a story about texting Urban, you have to say what he said. Well, I, that's <laughs> not
1: fair. Just teasing. Yeah,
3: I'm just teasing. I mean, um,
1: yeah, but he kind of agreed with me.
3: Yeah, I think, and that, like I said, you never college football is such a difficult sport to predict for the most part. You know, you know who the most talented teams are. It's very easy to see, especially when, with, with since the advent of recruiting rankings and and those things are far more accurate, far more often than sometimes they get credit for. Uh, but you know, you know, sometimes a one game sample is not good uh, or not meaningful enough, which You look at Ohio State-Purdue or Ohio State-Iowa, and that helps prove my case. It didn't show you the ceiling of that team. It showed you the floor, and it's up to anyone else to determine which one they think is more meaningful. But yeah, um, it's also, I think, Saturday night for Alabama is a reminder that this season is difficult to prepare for. And even if you have no positive cases and a full roster, uh, the extended layoff, not being able to hit, not being able to tackle – not going through, uh, you know, not having spring practice to get ready, different challenges you might have faced during training camp. It shows you how how easy it can be uh, for problems to arise once you get on the field. And you know, Alabama's a couple weeks into it, of course now. But um, you know, this is a challenge. I asked Ryan Day about that a couple weeks ago when we talked to him, and yeah. at Washington as well. You know, how concerned are you about your defense and tackling when when you haven't done it in so long? And they said that's that's absolutely the case. If you're Ryan Day, you hope that having seen an example, having seen Alabama go through something like that, that it's another reminder uh, to do whatever you can in the short term. And Ohio State now has, you know, one more week of training camp before they get into a game week. Um, But this year is hard. Weird things are happening. uh, Well. Not just Big 12 defenses that suck.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, every every major defense out there seems to have some – Question marks, except maybe Clemson. But we've we seen Clemson really challenged yet. I think a little bit the other night, Derek King and those guys uh, tried some things, and Clemson was able to shut the door. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina, uh, wow, Mac Brown, unbelievable. Mac Brown, the job he immediately brought back North Carolina last year. They're the team that should have upset Clemson and probably kept Clemson out of the out of the college football playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, but blew it at the end. Uh, but Wow, that team! And then you look at Notre Dame, and suddenly it's the ACC that's loading up in the top five or six. Uh, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, awesome. I mean, you know, look at it. I mean, the AP poll, uh, the AP poll, the media voted North Carolina number five ahead of Ohio State. Ohio State did not move up, even though uh, Florida got knocked down a few pegs. So there are a lot of people believing the ACC right now, but mainly it's because they've played games, and the Big Ten hasn't. I understand <laughs> that, but you got three ACC teams ahead of the team that most people think is going to win the Big Ten. That's hard to really wrap your head around. That's I'm talking about problem. Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the ipso facto honorary yeah. member of the ACC this week, or this year, ladies and gentlemen. In case That you is lost my out.
3: problem with the way some voters are casting their ballots from week to week because it's, you know, they don't matter. And I remind myself that of all the time. But you get into these misleading situations where, well, Clemson just claimed a top ten win. And they'll try to talk about that later on in the year. Well, that's it. Wouldn't have been a top ten win. Miami wouldn't have been in that situation. It's not going to be a top five game when North Carolina plays Clemson, or it shouldn't be if you're properly rating uh, Ohio State and Penn State. Um, you know, hey Mississippi,
1: if, hey Mississippi State got a top ten win over LSU. Exactly.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or Oregon or USC. I mean, not to just make it totally about the Big Ten, but yes. Um, you know. So that and that doesn't mean that I don't think that they would that Clemson beating Miami is significant or that North Carolina hasn't been very impressive and that they might be able to push Clemson again. The Mac Brown part the point that you raise is very accurate. I did not see him having this impact uh in a year and a half or or doing what he's doing in terms of elevating the recruiting profile and and in some cases mixing it up directly with Ohio State. You know, I didn't think that that was that was going to happen.
1: Um I never, well, it helps really when you never got a quarterback, you know, like Sam, Howell kid. I mean, he's playing really well. Yeah. It helps when you've got a quarterback who can play and then guys who start believing, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you know, you're right about uh, about everything you're saying there is, you know, everything right now is premature by any stretch. When you consider two of the power five conferences, haven't played a da- haven't played a down yet, haven't played a game yet.
3: Yeah. And I think you and I have been doing this long enough that we've, we've heard that, uh, I think most people now understand that you don't get credit for where what the team was ranked when you beat them if you're going to make a count that it needs to be at the end of the year when you have a full
1: body of work. Unless it's the college football playoff committee and have to come up with some reason why they left Ohio State out or so, somebody out, yeah, then they'll it, bring it back up. They'll dredge it back up like uh, t- uh, the 100-year-old shipwreck.
3: And that's why I say most people have figured that out uh, it, it's not tried and true that everyone agrees on it, but like that's the, that's always been dating back to you know I think 2007 was when the first time that I voted in it, it was like you know everyone wanted to talk about here's their record against the AP top 25 and that you'd have, you'd have more than like 13 games.
1: Yeah. Like,
3: at some point, everyone in the SEC had been ranked or in a preseason poll, and they, you're get, if you're getting credit for a top five win against a team that was only in the preseason, you know, top 10 or top whatever yeah. whatever number I I said before, uh those don't count. Like let's let's figure this out and they shouldn't be counting right now. Like the Big 10 and Ohio State specifically they're not ranked properly. So you can't with any of the rankings.
1: Here's the word you're looking you're looking for. You're what you're saying is the polls at this moment are illegitimate. They is are. what is the word yeah, you're looking yeah. for? especially when you look at the fact that in both, I think both polls this week, as I brought up earlier, Florida is still ranked ahead of Texas A&M, which just beat Florida and they have the same record. How can you justify in any stretch, any way, form or fashion voting that way? I mean, see, I mean, if, if head to head to me, has always been the great divider and, uh, and, and, you know, so don't come at me with the legitimacy of a poll that has that, what do they call it? Quant, what, no, what's the word I'm looking for there? Quantrill? What, there's a word like that uh, that they use every now and then. I, I can't even think of what I'm thinking about. But it just drives me nuts. So it's, That's why I can't think of it. My mind's befuddled. But like I told you before we started this thing, awesome, uh, you know, Ohio State has nothing to worry about except winning yep. because the in the AP poll, the five teams ahead of them, uh, they're only going to be, at max, two of those undefeated because yep. they all are going to take care of each other, including Alabama and Georgia this week. One of them is going to lose. And then, of course, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and uh, Clemson are all in the ACC, and only one of those teams is going to emerge un- undefeated if most of the games get in, as we think. So Ohio State really only has to worry about keeping the blinders on and taking care of business starting a week and a half from now against uh, Nebraska.
3: I think it's very fitting, Tim, that the way 2020 has gone the entire year, that chaos would already arrive after just a couple. Like, we're sitting here, you know, we're recording this, and it's October 12th, and, you know, you already can see the pathway that, like, you're not going to have to worry about picking between five undefeated teams for the college football playoff. Like that scenario is long gone. I think it's, you know, Oklahoma State. If they do it, great for them. Uh, you know, they'll have earned it going through that Big Twelve. But yeah, a week in that league, like even with the problems that Oklahoma and Texas have had, I still wouldn't bet on Oklahoma State sweeping that series. I wouldn't Iowa either. State, Iowa State can surprise you at any time. Like in some ways, you know, I've been making fun of the Big Twelve, and we know that you know what their here, what their you know history has been in the college football playoff, but you can kind of see that league becoming, you know, more dangerous from top to bottom than it has been. And and if you win that league, you've, you've accomplished something. Um, Maybe more so, you know, just referenced the ACC in the poll right now. Yeah. I'd say that, you know, it's, it's much more, much more challenging at this point to get through the big 12 than than even the ACC still at this point, but Clemson has got the benefit of the doubt themselves. I, I just think, this, is, this has been incredibly helpful the way the season has played out for Ohio State. They do get the reminders that you can lose it any week, and they also know that 9-0 and is going to be more than good enough to get them into the field. It always would have been, but, you know, there won't be any uncertainty about the number of games that they played or, you know, cancellations if they lose one or two, that there won't be enough data points. Yeah. Like Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin, I think that's all they have to do. Uh, those are the only three games that, that, that matter. They're the only three games that would really count in terms of, a, you know, looking at an earning spot in the field. Um, and those other teams are going to – they have opportunities to lose still ahead of them. So, yeah, it's, it's a great situation for Ohio State to be in before they've even played a game.
1: But, but you know, what we were talking about earlier about defense, that's why, you know, the big question mark about this Ohio State team, until you do it, you know, I'm going to sound like – I'm going to sound like a real philosopher. Until, until you do it, you can't say you've done it. <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, Question mark is how, how well is this defense going to play with all these new starters and all these new really backups, you know, when you think about it. Uh, uh, and that's been the question mark is for every team that so far, like you pointed out, is defensively defenses have been behind the offenses for the most part, and uh, especially the young defenses. Just look at, look at LSU. I mean, the best team maybe in, in that state is Louisiana, not Louisiana State. I mean, I'd like to see that game right now. I'd like to see that game this week
2: and uh so
1: yeah and the point being until you've actually played a game you don't know how well Ohio State has filled in the blanks on defense there's going to be a learning curve there for all of those guys involved including the 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 brand new first-time full-time starters I mean they're going to play more minutes than they've ever played and they're going against a for example in the opener against Nebraska which has been chapping at the bit to play these guys ever since last year ended and that disaster of a First, uh, what twenty minutes that Nebraska went through over there? Uh, they've been looking forward to it. Scott Frost has been scheming, et cetera. Maybe I explain some of their failings later in the year because <laughs> they were still looking forward to Ohio State. Yeah. I'm gonna get into that next week on this podcast with Sam McEwen again uh, from out there. Omaha World Herald has been covering that team, but uh, but we're going But the bottom line is what that is my question mark with this team, Ohio State that still must be answered on the field when we get to watch them play. What, do you, what in the, la- in the last week and a half of practice, what is it that you think they're looking at the hardest, Ryan Day and his staff, in these last couple of minutes here?
3: Yeah, we talked about it last week, so I won't belabor it. But I, I think until you know definitively uh, the status of Haskell Garrett and Teron Vincent, like defensive tackle, uh, Larry Johnson said, we talked to him four or five days ago, he said he still thinks that he'd rotate six guys at nose and three technique what well, if you don't have those two I I wonder is that still the approach that you're going to take because you're probably going to be putting in you know maybe a freshman like Ty Hamilton or maybe you're going to bo- borrow you know this idea that you and I have talked about and Spencer Holbrook has written about as well like Tyler Friday at three technique I, I think yeah. he's a great fit for that um you know I'll defer to Larry Johnson's judgment in all situations when it comes to the way he wants to use his depth chart but I, I think the defensive tackle is the thing that has probably the most attention for them. Uh, and then.
1: Um, right. Let me interrupt you real quick. Sure. You know, a name that he brought up a couple of people brought up uh, during a conversation that conversation was Jaden McKenzie.
3: Jaden McKenzie. Yeah.
1: He could be one of those guys, you know, Richard Frey, he could be one of those guys that uh, like I've always talked about this embedded talent. I know I'm always using that. Cause I think it's accurate. If I don't know state that a lot of teams don't have, they kind of have a, they kinda of have a, a minor league system, <laughs> you know, um, you know, within within their roster. And so so there's a guy who you know is gonna get some looks early. And then the other thing is about playing five or six guys, well, maybe you're gonna find one of those guys step up. That's what I think as much as keeping people fresh, they're trying to see who's ready for the moment. And I think, you know, sometimes that doesn't show up until game time, but go ahead.
3: Yeah, and that's um that's the defensive tackle breakdown that we've done a couple of yeah. times and and really, you know, your, your longtime listeners here will have also heard the name Josh Proctor a lot. So, you know, it's, <laughs> the, with offenses being ahead of defense and knowing – Wait, what's was going that a
1: slam? Was that a no, slam no, at no, me? Because no, no, I no, brought no. him up about 100 times last year?
3: Cause, no, because you and I both did. It, and it goes back to some of the things that we talked about with going on the road. And I went down, you know, to Tulsa and, and back to my, my birthplace. and Your roots? And, you know, yeah, back to my original roots. And, uh, you know, got to know – you know, his family and and those fine people down there. And uh, so I've always, you know, been following his career as I would have been with any Ohio State player. But, you know, the ones that you meet when they're still in high school sticks with you and you want them to succeed. And we know that Josh Proctor can. So now it's time for him to prove that he will, uh, you know, shine in the Ohio State secondary. Um, And that safety spot with offenses, with Scott Frost, with, uh, you know, the struggles that some teams had, You know, that spot is going to have to be consistent and reliable as it was with Jordan Fuller. So uh, you watch Proctor, you watch Marcus Fuller, you see if Ronnie Hickman is finally healthy enough to go out there and and make an impact, or Bryson Shaw, um, unleash some of those guys at that key position, uh, and and what Ohio State has. Uh, Maybe maybe Court Williams is a true freshman. We'll see. He fits that bullet role. But um, I think defensive tackle and safety, I don't have any concerns whatsoever about Ohio State's ability to score points on offense. I know we've talked about the running backs and how they're going to use, you know, Trey Sermon or Master Teague or a combination. Right. You know, that to me, it, it's, it'll impact the stats, but it's not going to impact how many points Ohio State puts on the board.
1: Potato that or potato. Yeah. 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 I'm with so, you.
3: So their championship ceiling, to me, is going to be determined by what the answers they find at defensive tackle and what happens in the, in the secondary corner, I think. We've talked about those three guys, plus Morgan's Williamson before. I, that's going to be just fine. Championship ceiling, defensive tackle, and safety. Those are the positions I think. Drink up
1: the middle, ladies and gentlemen, is what you look for on a baseball team. By the way, RIP uh, Joe Morgan, one of my favorite players, until he got traded from the Astros to the Cincinnati Reds. Still one of my You're favorite one of the players few of all time.
3: Joe Morgan Astros fans and not Reds fans, huh? Yeah.
1: Well, I grew up in East Texas. That's how we had to root. Re- yeah, yeah the Astros would cultivate all these players and then would get traded off to somewhere else because the Astros were always rebuilding they were kind of like the browns until this year. you know what I'm saying I mean it was crazy they were I call it the elite triple a league of the, of the national league that's what the Astros were, but I digress but yeah uh i mean it's 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 going to be interesting uh to see if those guys step up like you said Josh Proctor. The light is now on. You step up and play, right? And uh, right on down the line. Hey, last question. This is just going to be on. I want five to ten seconds of an answer before we call it quits. Of all the players we talk about, about embedded players, guys who've been paying their dues, et cetera, Jalen Harris or Elijah Gardner, they're forgotten names, really, when it comes to the wide receiver core. What, what do you think? Is it time for one of them to make a move? Uh, do you think, or will they, you know, what, what's, your, just what, what's your take? Which one will make his move this year? If and be sort make, of that Johnny Dixon yeah. or, you know, that kind of guy that you've kind of maybe given up on for one reason or another, and yet, boom, they play.
3: Yeah, if you don't make that move now, you, you, it will never happen. So the way Ohio State is recruited, this is, and, and even, the you know, obviously the part of their career that they're in, this is it. Uh, yeah. If if you're asking me to pick one of those two, I think it's Jalen Harris. He's really not. We know that he hasn't been able to produce, but I think there are or signs Ohio State put him in games in meaningful situations because he knew how to block. He's big. He can run. Um, if you need a, one of these guys to be a red zone threat, I would pick uh, Jalen Harris to emerge in that role. So I can see him capping his career uh, with a couple touchdowns for the Buckeyes. That rotation's going to be really hard for anybody to crack, but if it's going to be a veteran presence, um, you know, making the most of that moment, I think Jalen Harris knows what's at stake here.
1: Yeah, the one thing, Elijah Gardner streaking down the field, at, what is he, six foot five or whatever he is, I mean, he's uh, still a possible weapon that I think Ryan Day would like to get to, but not at the expense of others, not at the expense of a, an experiment. You know what I mean? So, yes. wow, you know, that's why you'd like to be sitting there watching every day after <laughs> school the after-school specials, which are Ohio State's football practices, uh, to see who's really making a move right now, who they're not going to tell us about (laughs) until we see them make a move against Nebraska or at Penn State. But, ladies and gentlemen, uh, yes, football season is nigh. It's not upon us. That'll be be the way I sign off next week uh, from this uh, Tim May podcast. Awesome, Ward. Thanks for joining me again. And uh, until next week.